0: Good afternoon. This is Dr. Daniel J. Guerra, and this is Authentic Biochemistry Podcast. Uh, today is 7 11 2023, and that means I'm going to go ahead and give you one of these immunoepigenetic lectures. It's going to be number 90 in the arc. So we're finished with our holiday period. This will be probably the last lecture for the next three days because, as I said, I'm traveling. So let's go back and talk about immunogenetics, one of my favorite subjects. Now, we're going to talk about two papers. One was in nature and immunology. Um, and so, and, and I'll, I'll put these, of course, in the show notes, the citations, the references. Recall that T-cell activation and effector function is linked to the survival of T-cells. And of course, the dependency on those functions are linked to alterations in gene expression that come through the T cell receptor. So we know that antigen recognition by peripheral mature T cells enables them to exert multiple helper or effector functions. But T cell receptor stimulation of some of these effector cells will also induce cell death. And that's called, it's kind of like a feedback loop that comes in immediately simultaneously. It's called AICD or activation induced cell death. And of course, that's essential for maintaining a control over hyper-inflammatory responses. We have a name for that in immunology we call that contraction. So it's a contraction of the potential for an expansion of peripheral T cells. And that's even after all the antigen has been cleared. Okay. So in peripheral T cells, cell death can occur through the death receptor. That's one way. That's called the extrinsic. Or it can be ca- caused by the intrinsic mitochondrial mediated apoptosis. So the death receptor-induced apoptosis is triggered, remembered, by the Fas ligand or phas L and interacts with its receptor. And the mitochondrial cell death occurs because of, well, one of the initial pathophysiological, cell physiological occurrences in, in canonical intrinsic apoptosis is a corruption of the mitochondrial membrane potential. Now, alternatively, death of activated T cells can be regulated by not apoptosis, but necrotosis. And when that occurs, RIP kinase 1 and RIP kinase 3 are the key proteins, kinases, that run through tumor necrosis factor alpha-induced cell death responses. And that will mediate, because of the RIP kinases 1 and 3, necrotosis. It can also then shut down inflammation, at least temporarily. Now, T-cell receptor engagement involves, if you recall from, oh, I think about a month ago we talked about this, calcium signaling. It involves calcium signaling. And what occurs here is an induction of gene expression. And in human patients with loss of function mutations in genes for the ORA1, which is the main plasma membrane channel protein for calcium influx in lymphocytes, or sometimes also the stromal interaction molecule one, which is another calcium-based protein. It's a calcium sensor in the ER. And it also activates that ORA1. When you get that occurring, those patients suffer from immunodeficiency and autoimmunity. So the calcium signal is obviously very important. And what does it do? It induces the activation of the NFAT. Recall that's a nuclear factor, an activator of transcription in lymphocytes. Now, when that's turned on, it transactivates the expressions of expression of multiple effector molecules what are they primarily cytokines which cytokines il2 interferon gamma and tumor necrosis factor alpha but you also get at the same time that simultaneity of shutting down the induction fas l gene expression so then immediately you're getting some AICD, right? So that's the important thing about T cells. As soon as you turn them on, there is a feedback mechanism to shut everything down and start having those cells apoptose, or in this, or in some instances, necrotose. So and that's all calcium regular. So with excessive calcium influx, cell death by apoptosis and or necrotosis and decreased apoptosis when you get an increased necrotosis will be observed and you see how the polarity changes will be observed in t cells with an impaired intracellular calcium mobilization all of which is downstream from tcr stimulation so what you can say then for synthesis here is there is a tight regulation of cell death in t lymphocytes And it's an important sequelae of T-cell receptor stimulation via antigen presentation. And of course, that's going to maintain not only the T-cell response uh, to stimuli, but also shutting down any hyper or chronic uh, pro-inflammatory immune response. Okay. So that's where we're at. Now, another paper we're looking at, this one's gonna be um, 2021. So that first paper, we're gonna be looking at these back and forth is published in Signal Transduction and Targeted Therapy. Now, I want you to recall T cells continuously function to surveil lymphoid and peripheral tissues. And that surveillance is looking for the presentation of antigens and those antigens can either be peptides or lipids and how are they presented via the major histocompatibility complex okay, or the HLA in humans so when we say there when the, when we look at this in the periphery we call that pmhc okay peripheral major histocompatibility complex all right So in normal T-cell development in the thymus, remember this is now back to the education period in T-cells, they undergo that developmental checkpoint in which T-cell receptor signaling is associated with shutting down any T-lymphocytes, which would be self-induced. So thymocytes bearing the T-cell receptor with a high affinity for self-peptide presentation via MHC complex will immediately undergo apoptosis. And we know that's called negative selection. Not the same negative selection we're thinking about um, homologous recombination experiments, obviously. Now, what does that do? You know what it does. It makes sure that T cells that are self-tolerant survive while anything that is not self-tolerant is eliminated otherwise you would have massive cell death induced by a brigade of t cells that were attacking host so let's get more details naive single positive mature t cells what do they do they exit the thymus and they enter the peripheral lymphoid organs such as lymph nodes and the spleen there they get a secondary exposure now to foreign antigens, again, presented by major histocompatibility complex molecules. And this is going to be occurring uh, as a formal presentation by APCs, antigen-presenting cells. And you know, with those antigen-presenting cells, there's the classical innate immune cells, macrophages, dendritic cells, but also B cells, right? As particularly B cells will present during a pathogenic infection. Now, all of them Now, upon engagement of T-cell receptor with the antigenic peptide, T-cells will be activated by the receptor, and they'll undergo clonal expansion, and they will also differentiate into those several different effector functions based, remember, on the um, transcription factor complex heterogeneity. Okay. And all of that is due to a complex series of molecular alterations at the plasma membrane, which involve lipid turnover, and then leading from the plasma membrane through the endomembranous system, interacting with the cytoplasm and shuttling, ultimately, transcription factors to the nucleus. Okay. So T-cell signaling is absolutely the core um, component, not just for effector cell biology, but for T-cell development and for even naive activation and for immune tolerance. So T-cell receptor signaling dysregulation is going to lead to all kinds of problems. It can lead to an, anywhere from energy to autoimmunity. And energy is not good, of course, because then you have no protection right? Now, in general, Transmission of external cues to the interior of the cell is going to occur through the binding of ligand to various extracellular domains of that T cell receptor. That will lead to the T cell receptor aggregation on the surface. Now, once that occurs, recall that a protein tyrosine kinase phosphorylates certain tyrosine residues that are localized to the cytoplasmic component or domain of the T-cell receptor. Now, w- once those are phosphorylated, that phosphorylated T-cell receptor will then serve as a docking site for signaling molecules containing specific phosphotyrosine recognition domains. Remember, one of those classical recognition domains is the CERC homology two or SH2, and of course the PTB, which is just simply the phosphotyrosine binding domains, two different domains, SH2 and PTBs. All of that will then initiate a proximal biochemical signaling by key effector enzymes. Of course, that's going to be a kinase cascade, but it's also going to have certain phosphatases. Remember, not all the phosphatases are going to counteract the kinases either. Some proteins become phosphorylated in the signal and transduction pathway after TCR activation, and some proteins are dephosphorylated. Other enzymes that are involved in this signaling from the effector, uh, range after the phosphotyrosine binding of SH2 and PTB will include phospholipase activity. Remember that as well. Phospholipase activity can then induce the production of, for example, arachidonic acid or omega-3 fatty acids, which can then be marshaled into oxygenation pathways, and that will lead to further stimulation of, for example, the pro-inflammatory response. Okay. especially for the arachidonic acid, cyclooxygenase products. And then that will lead for even further downstream to nuclear events involving uh, transcription. Now, both the proximal and distal signaling that we have already now gotten into must be communicated together and integrated. And the way that that occurs, again, we went through this before. I'm just I'm going through it again, because it's been a couple of weeks, goes through a series of adapter polypeptides. And these adapter polypeptides then aggregate with other proteins, which ultimately then synthesize multi-protein complexes, some of which are going to be transcription factor complexes. Remember what adapters are, they're just proteins that essentially lack any specific or discreetly described enzymatic activity, but what they do besides that, besides having enzymatic activity, is they will bind specifically to regions of other proteins, such as proline-rich or those that have been acylated or prenylated or even phosphotyrosines. That means there's going to be a reading of the protein sequence by these adapter molecules. You understand? They're surveilling and reading post-transcriptional, translational, covalent modification of polypeptides so that they bind to and then alter the function of proteins involved in the aggregating complex. So the phosphorylated tyrosine residues, for example, are, that are also found on the adapter polypeptides will serve as binding sites for yet other proteins, now including effector enzymes and lipids and other adapter proteins, which will facilitate further chain migration of protein protein interactions that aid in forming the ultimate multi-protein complex. And then once generated, will then be potentially trafficked to the nucleus. So that's the cascade system in T-cell receptor induction. So besides this, the adapters can also interact with other adapters still at the plasma membrane. Remember the plasma membrane has a great deal of protein Especially in T cells, and those protein lipid raft microdomains are also going to be linked to what's going on in the rest of the cell via the cytoskeleton. So, the massive communication network of the T cells is what we're getting into. So, hematopoietic specific adapter proteins. Once we've learned about them and we we have measured their quantity and their quality has given a much more precise lens to understand T-cell signaling. T-cell signaling, signal transduction, and then through that, positive regulation, negative regulation, or sometimes completely unique molecular signaling that can lead downstream to energy or cell proliferation Mm -hmm. via newly paved epigenetic circuitry. Okay, and we're gonna get there real soon now. So the core TCR complex, you have two T cell receptor chains and six clusters of differentiation, three chains. Those are the CD3 I've been talking about throughout these 90 lectures now, off and on, of course. And of course, there's several other polypeptides and lipids, and some of those polypeptides are receptors, and some of them are kinases, some of them are phosphatases. Some of them are just functioning as protein-protein ligands, right? Indeed, the human genome expresses four T-cell receptor genes, TCR alpha, beta, gamma, and delta. And... That forms two distinct heterodimers, TCR-alpha, TCR-beta, or TCR-gamma, TCR-delta, okay? When you look at the majority of mature T-cells, they're going to express TCR-alpha and beta isoforms. And these are definitely going to be now referred to as a unique set of T-cells called the alpha-beta T-cells. While well, a much smaller proportion, like a half to up to about 5% of the T lymphocytes, are going to be the gamma delta T cells. Okay, you've heard me talk about those. Now, those express what do you think? T cell receptor gamma, T cell receptor delta isoforms. Okay, so you understand even if the T cell receptor dimerization is a great deal of complexity. Now, both heterodimers will form subsequent multiprotein complexes with now the next protein component. That's the CD3. CD3 is going to have a delta, gamma, epsilon, and zeta chain. Oh yeah. So T-cell receptor chains consist of extracellular region transmembrane regions and a shorter cytoplasmic polypeptide tail such that the extracellular region contains essentially a variable igg-like 5 domain remember these are these are the result of recombinations right the t cell receptor just like immunoglobulins plus a constant immunoglobulin like c domain and you're also going to get the connecting polypeptide. now remember these Regions, of recomb- regions associated with, with recombination, recombination associated genes, excuse me. RAG1, RAG2, those are the recombinases. The RAG1, RAG2 recombinases are responsible for making the assembly of the V domain from all the gene segments that serve as now the very well integrated complex antigen recognition sites. And the C domain is used for all the interactions with, um, comfortably, the CD3 chains. So there's considerable structural differences between alpha-beta and gamma-delta chains in terms of the C domain. You can imagine this and the connecting polypeptides. These are all reflected in the various types of assembly processes for T cell complexes, which is going to change a morphology. Of the T cell receptor on the surface of the T cell. And because of that, it's going to alter membrane lipid surface shape, charge distribution. These are things we talked about before in this arc of lectures. Now, in both complexes, three dimers of CD3 proteins, the delta epsilon, the gamma epsilon heterodimers, and the zeta zeta homo dimers have been isolated now those cd3 proteins associate with the t cell receptor via non-covalent hydrophobic interactions which are very powerful and they are required for the complete final t cell receptor localization even before anything gets started with the antigen presentation now that should all be a recap because we talked about this before right all right, see uh, if there's anything else I want to say about all these CD molecules. Um, there's more about CD4. So there's a co-receptor CD4 that can act as a single molecule, while the CD8-alpha and CD8-beta can form homodimers or heterodimers. And recall that the MCH consists of an alpha chain containing three immunoglobulin domains alpha-1 through 3, and the beta-2 microglobulin, which is just simply called B2M. Now, MCH, okay, and again, this is another component of this entire process, right? MCH2 is the heterodimer of the alpha chain and beta chain, and that contains further two immunoglobulin domains, alpha-1 or 2 and beta-1 and 2 in each chain. Okay. So you also have these CD3 chains further differentiated into 10 distinct immunoreceptor tyrosine-based activation motifs. Those are called the ITAMs. And those are responsible for having the CD3 molecule specifically rea- react with certain portions, again, hydrophobically with the T-cell receptor subdomains, okay? This is all membrane proximal activity. Remember that too. It's very important. Now, finally, let me make sure I know where I'm at time-wise. Oh, yes, perfect. We're going to start talking about some epigenetics. Okay, paper published again, Immunology, uh, only about a year ago. The M6A, remember that? That's the methyl 6-adenine-dependent post-translational gene regulation. That's become very significant in our understanding of how messenger RNAs are specifically modulated in T cells. All right? So now we're at the transcript level. We went through the whole TCR story because that's going to feed back into downstream processing of that signaling when you start to get to the level of transcription. Oh, yes. So the M6A, methyl 6 adenine that's going to be in an RNA molecule, that epigenetic modification of methylation, will function in all those innate immune responses we talked about early in these lectures. And as we've talked about as well, we're going to continue today, regulate the adaptive immunity because M6A controls cytokine signaling and through the T follicular helper cells will generate different differentiation that is associated further with germinal center B cell differentiation. So the, six, the uh, M6A modification influences the fate and output of multiple transcripts. And, of course, what does it do with the transcripts? It regulates their uh, splicing, uh, obviously, ultimately translation, but also stability. And so the M6A modification occurs on selective transcripts, okay? These are already nation transcripts. And they have a certain motif. It's called a terrible word. or I mean, acronym, the drach motif, where D, first letter, stands for a G, an A, or a U, the R stands for a G or an A, A is A, obviously, and the H is A, a uracil or a cytosine. And these all this Dirac motif tends to be associated close to the stop codon, but also at the five prime end of the terminal exons that may also contain a pseudo stop codon, okay? Look at my time, I'm probably bouncing. No, I'm still okay. All right, great. Now, the methyl 6 adenine modification of mature transcripts is found specifically recognized by sautiosolic proteins called the YTHDF proteins. Uh, And there's one through three of those. Now, those different paralogous proteins bind however, to the same M6A modified transcripts, but they act redundantly, and what they do is induce messenger RNA degradation. So that's methyl 6-adenine modification is catalyzed by, now that we need to get to this, the heterodimeric methyltransferase complex is known as MET L3 and MET L4. Okay. So the complex includes the complex of these, all of these proteins includes Wilms tumor one associated protein. That's got a, a nice little acronym called WTAP. And then multiple RNA binding proteins, the RBMs, but also KIAs, VERMAs, and ZC3Hs, as well as the HECI. These are all proteins that are going to be associated with methylation of adenine on nation transcripts. Okay. Now, one in particular, the the WTAP, seems to be required for the catalytic activity of the methyl 6 adenine methyl transferase complex. And the knockdown of WTAP or that other methyl transferase, vermol has been described as causing a decrease in overall messenger RNA methylation, even compared with, with inactivation, complete activation of the metal proteins, which are also methyltransferases. Okay, so this paper is gonna be talking a lot about this WTAP protein. It's gonna focus on the WTAP protein and to some extent also the verma protein. All right, I'm gonna leave you there. I think you got a good reintroduction back into immunoepigenetics, finally got to that uh, methylation, that, that final uh, epigenetic signature there, so we could get back to it. I gave you all that prodromal discussion of T-cell receptors, because you need to know that, and I reminded you, this is lecture number 90 in immunoepigenetics. This is Dr. Daniel J. Guerra. This is the 11th day of July, 2023, saying bye for now.